Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that brings you the most interesting content in InfoSec, technology, and humans. The idea is to curate around three to five hours of weekly reading into a 15 to 30 minute summary. The goal is to have you caught up on current events, tell you about the best content from around the web, and hopefully give you something to think about as well. You can get the companion newsletter with all the show notes and links at danielmesor.com newsletter. All right, welcome to episode 91. Going to start off with the InfoSec news. We've got uh, 465,000 patients are being told to visit their doctor and get their St. Jude pacemaker patched. As is the case with so many of these types of vulnerabilities, the local attacker can basically use radio frequencies to disrupt or change the operation of the device, uh, update the configs, you know, uh, take it offline, that kind of stuff. And uh, for a pacemaker, of course, that means potentially causing harm or death. So 465,000 patients have to go and do this. I think uh, this is the type of story that is going to bridge the gap between InfoSec and safety and uh, make these types of uh, IoT or connected devices, especially relating to health, a lot more serious. Instagram leaked a bunch of emails and phone numbers through an API vulnerability. They collected uh, tons of data on a bunch of high-profile types, but it looks like they also pulled lots of data on just regular non-verified users. I think API security is going to be a much bigger topic in 2018. Basically, so many so many companies think that their attack surface is like the website because that's what people interact with. And that's what the executives interact with. And they have two-factor for that, right? So they have two-factor and they feel like they're pretty okay. But API access is tokens and secrets. And oftentimes access control is not nearly as strong. And uh, we're ultimately talking about password security, right? With an API uh, access code and a secret. So I think API security is at least a couple years behind regular or mainstream web security. An ingenious way of attacking someone on Twitter. So basically, so you basically take your swarm of spam accounts, you know, lots and lots of accounts, and you follow someone who you don't like all at once with all these accounts. And Twitter will see this as a sign that the, that the target like bought a service and bought a bunch of fake bot accounts and they're not real users, they're just fake ones. And uh, they will potentially block that account. This is something that um, Brian Krebs wrote up. Uh, he woke up one day after writing about some Russian stuff and basically woke up with 12,000 extra followers. And uh, it looks like this is a fairly common attack or at least it's getting more common, but really interesting way to use a swarm of bots on social media make it look like abuse, basically. Uverse modems appear to have some serious problems. There's a pretty strong write-up here in the links. Um, not sure why this isn't bigger news, maybe because it hasn't gone through proper disclosure, not quite sure. DJI, the Chinese drone makers, launched an internal bug bounty program. They're offering between $100 and $30,000 for issues based on severity. 
New York has started implementing its own new laws around cybersecurity for financial institutions. This is really good news. They're requiring financial institutions of over a certain size, you know, that you have to qualify for this, but it does apply to quite a few of them. Um, to have a risk program, to follow a policy, to have an instant response plan, to have a qualified CISO, to have trained security people, they have to limit their access privileges, whatever that means, and provide 72-hour notice for certain types of events. Um, I, You know, with any type of thing like this, it's all about the details, like how many companies follow it, how, how are they going to verify that it is being followed, so the details matter a lot, but regardless, it looks like some massive progress and hopefully other states will adopt similar things. And ideally it wouldn't just be financial institutions, right? I think uh, with insurance getting bigger, this is the type of stuff that we'll see uh, in a lot of different industries just because it'll lower their premiums. A professor at WSU's College of Business believes that the IRS is mining people's social media data to decide who to audit. And she's produced a 55 page paper that makes this case. I think there's an okay way to do this. Like it depends on how the IRS is, is doing it, right? Um, if they're digging into personal details, looking for gotchas, that's, that's one thing that could be a bit creepy and possibly illegal. But if they're using automation to somehow gather just public data, that would otherwise be a manual process that would take, you know, days or weeks. Then I say, bring on the efficiency, right? Um, we, we complain that the IRS is slow and expensive. Well, maybe this would help uh, fix some of that. So the legitimacy of what they're doing is, is really in the details of the implementation. Cadium, Q-U-A-D-I-U-M, is a security startup out of San Francisco that Basically looks like Shodan, but with nice handles and a GUI. It's also not publicly available data like Shodan's data is. And it, it evidently lets you focus on results for a particular company. So basically companies sign up for it. And it it's looking at the whole internet like every hour or whatever, but it's showing you your data for um, whatever particular company you are. It's also not showing you other people's data, which is another difference between Shodan. It's backed by Peter Thiel. I'm not sure if that's Thiel or Thiel, but um, the CEO is ex-CIA and supposedly they have around $66 million in funding. This reminds me a lot of like Palantir, which is also another Peter Thiel um, startup. So interesting stuff. Uh, Australia. Um, S-T-R-A-Y-A, Straya, is going to start using drones to patrol for sharks near popular beaches. The drones will also have speakers, so if they identify a shark nearby, they could tell the people on the beach to get out of the water. Interesting. The article, actually, that this links to, um, it's kind of making fun of the shark threat, so I, I don't know why they have that particular bias. Um, it sounds realistic to me. It sounds like there's a lot of sensationalism around oh my God, sharks will eat you. And it's probably like extremely low numbers compared to whatever, bee stings and spreading your ankles on stairs or whatever. So um, it said something like the results, um, extremely high chance of scaring the crap out of a human. 
um, in terms of the AI being able to do this with the algorithm. So it's like, I think they said 30% chance of identifying a shark correctly for a human. And then like 100% chance of scaring the crap out of a human with the AI algorithm that they're using, which sounded like they were saying it was security theater, but I don't know. I, I think this kind of stuff is cool. Um, it can be overused. It can be over sensationalized, but I still think it's useful. I mean, humans don't scale in this way and humans don't get better instantly when you update an algorithm. Uh, the data breach at Yahoo evidently costed them around $350 million in the purchase price renegotiations. That's a large number, but we should be cautious about thinking of, of this as like the new standard for data breach impact, right? Because I, I think as breaches get more common, I think the overall impact, especially from like lost confidence in the brand, will go down and not up. I think this was a very special case. It was a very large company, very public breach, and it was all about acquisition. It wasn't about brand damage necessarily. Uh, I mean, there wasn't much brand to damage at that point, right? It was just a question of how messed up are all the internal um, networks and stuff like that in terms of like the value that was bringing into Verizon. So I, I think it's a uh, interesting point that $350 million is a lot of money and it was because of a breach, but I'm just not sure that extends to lots of other companies. And patching for this week, I'm sure there's lots of other stuff you need to patch and of course just do your regular patches, but there's a particular issue with Ruby gems. So if you have Ruby and use gems, you need to uh, get that updated. Technology news, Oracle has finally killed Sun. We kind of already knew they were going to do that and we didn't want it to happen, but it looks like end of last week it actually happened. They basically laid off everyone quietly and hoped nobody would notice. I grew up in the Bay Area, in, in fact, right across the Dumbarton from where Sun was. And uh, it's a bit sad to hear this. Um, fun fact, the other side of the Facebook sign is still the Sun logo. It has the original Sun logo on the back and there's a cool story about it. Evidently Zuckerberg leaves the logo there to remind employees that you can go out of business at any moment. It doesn't matter if you're as big as Sun, if you drop the ball or take your eye off the ball or whatever you know metaphor you wanna use, um, you, you will simply disappear. So that's why he's leaving it there. I, I thought it was cool to leave it there anyway, just to give some respect to a giant in the industry. But uh, I think we should say thanks to Sun for doing a lot for the industry. Microsoft is offering a real-time coding editor that you can use to do remote developer interviews over Skype. It's pretty cool. Although I think the high pressure, like code this, code this or whatever, I mean, I think they should be allowed to use Google. Like, I don't know what their rules are, but it needs to be chill, right? Because you're not trying to scare the crap out of people. It's not really indicative of the performance they'll have when they're not frightened, right? So I don't know. I, I think there's a right way to do this. I think this is kind of cool. Definitely better than trying to write shit out on a, on a whiteboard. I think I cussed. Sorry about that. 
All right. A company in Thailand has developed a smart dog vest that streams live video when the dog barks. So they're basically trying to turn stray dogs, their stray dog network <laughs> into a security monitoring force. Kind of interesting, except for I've seen one or two dogs or one or two million dogs that bark when they're not supposed to. I mean, if you have like a crazy dog that's like psychotic or whatever, or just likes to bark a lot, likes the sound of its own bark, well then um, it's just gonna stream a lot of video, right? So annoying dogs basically take up more bandwidth is what I'm hearing. Tinder became the top grossing app on the App Store for the first time. Evidently they launched some sort of new premium version. Um, I've never used the app. I think it's pretty cool. The whole swipe left and swipe, uh, swipe right has become like just language that everyone uses in, in tech and sort of, uh, I guess, culture in general. Um, like someone says, oh, I like this voca vacation spot. I'm going to swipe, swipe right on it or whatever. So um, I think that's pretty cool that they, they reach the top of the, uh, the chart or whatever, but I don't know. All right. Salesforce and IBM are already integrated quite a bit via their AI products, but now they're doing more integration around data. Specifically, they're going to be linking some uh, weather data and uh, allowing people to build apps around it. Wells Fargo has added another 1.4 million fake accounts to their previously discovered and announced 2.1 million number, bringing the total number to 3.5 million accounts. So they're basically, they were basically signing people up for accounts without their knowledge to raise their sales numbers. I, I don't know how they were gathering the information. Maybe they were just regular teller people who were like someone would come up to the window and ask for change and they would get data from that. I'm not sure how they were gathering the data, but they were gathering data from like millions of people and signing them up for accounts. And here's the crazy part. They started charging those people fees. Like 200,000 of these people were getting paid or were getting charged fees, like overages. Hey, you haven't upkept your account. And of course they're not listening because they don't have an account or they didn't think they did. So now they're in massive trouble. I, I think this is a great story because I want everyone to see what happens to them, right? They have this cool sales idea. I mean, this, this was a decision. Someone was like, Hey, you know, sales are down. What if we just, what if we just signed people up and suddenly we have millions more accounts and our numbers look great in PowerPoint. And what's the worst that can happen? Because I could just change jobs anyway. And now the, the trust in their brand is massively, massively damaged. They're paying millions of dollars in fees to, to fix this. Um, apology letters, like it's just horrible all around, but, but some, you know, dumb manager made this decision that this would be a great idea. So hopefully it will be a good deterrent for other people thinking similarly stupid ideas. Human news. Hurricane Harvey destroyed around 40,000 homes and around a million cars. The loss of the cars alone has been estimated at somewhere between 2.7 and $4.9 billion. That's million with a B. 
some blind people are using a series of mouth clicks for echolocation. Sometimes when I hear this podcast, I feel like I'm doing that. It's a very sensitive mic. A massive new Canadian study on carbs. A massive new Canadian study on carbs and fat in diets has found that too little fat is bad and too much carbs is bad. Too much carbs, too many carbs, some kind of typo. And ultimately that moderation is best, which no duh, we already knew that. They found that the ideal percentage of carbs for a meal is around 50% with another 35% coming from various types of fats. I don't know how this wasn't already known. I feel like, I feel like this was like a 15 years ago discovery. I guess just the size of the Canadian study is what makes this an interesting finding. It was a very large study and it was Canadian. Things right now in Canada are just better than in the US or wherever else. So yeah, I guess the remaining percentage, cause that takes us to 85%, the remaining percentage of 15 would probably be protein. So 50% carbs, 35% various fats. They also said the type of fat didn't matter as much. Um, of course, this is like journalism reading the paper, right? So that's always dangerous. But I think it's 50%, 35%, and then 15%. Um, but pretty good analysis in the link. All right, a psychiatrist at Yale did a brilliant study to show that people's expectations of how reality will be can actually alter their perception of that reality. In other words, if you believe you're about to hear or see something, you can actually experience that thing happening, even if it doesn't. So what they were doing was they were showing a, an image and then playing a tone. Then they would show the image and play the tone. They would just do this over and over until the brain was expecting it, right? So the brain was doing prediction. And this is, this is like a whole huge thing that the brain does, right? That's the whole purpose of, you know, actually doing stereotypes and like, you know, snakes are bad or, or whatever. It, it's all about prediction, which helps survival, right? So um, that's kind of why this is so powerful and why it's so dependable is because we are basically a prediction engine, right? So this is super interesting to me because it explains, or at least to me, how people who believe ridiculous things about the world can then have those beliefs reinforced by their own brains. It further emphasizes, emphasizes that beliefs matter, not only because they predict action, but also because they affect how someone experiences the world. So maybe that, per, maybe that person did see a ghost, or maybe they did hear a God talk to them, but it doesn't actually mean that it happened, right? What it means is that they thought it was likely and therefore their brain made it happen and they believed it. It's craziness. This is another reason not to believe things that aren't true, right? It feels like that just turned, it just gets worse. It gets worse because, you know, you have this dumb belief, then your brain convinces you that it's true. And maybe, maybe now you're more open to additional dumb beliefs. I give some examples, but I don't want to offend anyone. At least not in this section. All right, Silicon Valley is going after teachers with brands. 
going after meaning courting, looking for teachers with brands, and it's making some folks uncomfortable. I personally think this, this is like the trend going forward anyway. So most people are going to be heading towards branding for the simple reason that the previous reason for not needing a brand, which is having an employer where you're actually safe and can, you know, work an entire career is going away. So basically when your company sees you as a burden that they'd rather get rid of, you better have a brand that you can use to stand out against the crowd. And I would expect more of this to happen in uh, not just in education, but in lots of different industries. Women outnumber men, 45. Women outnumber men, 54% of players on Tencent's top game, Honor of Kings, which is like a more social adaptation version of League of Legends. In most similar games, Females account for only 35% of players. And China is getting extremely serious about cleaning up pollution and moving to renewable energy. They're kind of changing everything overnight on these two topics, and I think they're going to quickly leave the U.S. way behind. One thing I really like about China, because I, I dislike a lot of things, but one thing I really like is their ability to like decide something as a country and then quickly move to that shared goal. So one thing they're doing here is they're actually fining just tons of companies, like millions of, uh, of currencies, right? Yuan or yen or whatever, but uh, dollars, doesn't matter. They're fining massively to discourage this behavior. And before they didn't care. So they, they go from not caring to all of a sudden deciding as a country, yeah, we don't like green rivers anymore. And they just show up and just start issuing massive fines for people who are breaking the rules. And before you could just bribe your way out of those rules or ignore them completely. Um, so I, I think, you know, five, 10 years, I don't know how long it takes for this type of stuff to kick in, but I guess five or 10 years, I imagine the whole culture and, you know, get, going to Shanghai, I mean, fixing smog, fixing water quality, fixing all these different things is just going to massively improve their tourism. It's going to massively imp improve just the quality of life. And it's also going to make the U S and Europe look quite silly um, because, you know, we'll, we'll be catching up to them at that point, maybe not in five or 10 years, but at some point ideas, marketing groups are junking up the security news wrote this one yesterday. It is a bit controversial. Won't go into it now. Facial gestures and eye tracking as computer inputs. I wrote this one yesterday as well. It's pretty interesting. Uh, basically using a hybrid of facial gestures, eye tracking, touch, and voice all together will be the new interface is what I'm predicting here. And uh, the reason I wrote about it is because uh, basically Apple's releasing their new phone and it looks like it's doing some pretty hardcore, whatever, 3D face tracking or whatever that is. But I think it's infrared based and it's a very detailed map of, you know, the, the face and what comes with that is expressions, right? And this is the whole point of the post is that there's already some really cool AI going on around 
understanding humans faces the human faces uh, expressions and what's crazy about that is and this is the thing with AI in general, right? They get better at reading things than humans do, right? So if you're trying to conceal your thoughts or whatever, and um, there's this awesome AI watching your face the entire time, and you're on Facebook, for example, and this is one of the things I talked about in the article, is let's say you're on Facebook and you see a picture of like, some guy or some girl, and you're like, oh, that person's attractive. Well, something in your face changed. Is as a smile, is your, your iris opens up, like, I, I don't know what happens, but maybe something happens and it notices that and it interprets that, assuming you give it the app permissions and, and Facebook is doing this, it could interpret that as a like or a, or a love or whatever. And that's crazy for privacy, right? Because now you're suddenly, you know, you're um, not enjoying something that you see, you know, see a picture of someone's, someone's kid doing something that they shouldn't be doing or whatever. So you make a judgment or you, you know, roll your eyes or you doing some, something like that. And now it captures that and transmits it to the app. Well, a lot of people won't turn that on, at least initially, because they realize how much uh, privacy implication there is there. But a lot of people will turn it on just because it makes the process easier, right? Because it could be a hybrid. It could say, oh, looks like you like this. Click here to accept. So instead of having to like, you just accept. And maybe when you accept, you just blink twice or you slightly nod. And your device detects this and does it. So imagine someone looking at you from a distance and you're basically sub-audibly speaking you're slightly nodding, you're blinking quickly and using your thumb and you're all of these things combine into a very rich sort of intuitive interface with your system. And that's, uh, that's what that one was about. My problem with Buddhism, that was an interesting one. You should check that out. Reading is life. That one's pretty straightforward. Uh, this next one here, on complex topics, the truth is probably a hybrid of all the positions that are held by different sides. Don't fall into the temptation to choose just one of them. This is one of my better essays, I would say, in the last year or two. Definitely recommend you check this out. I had it in here last week as under a different title. Um, I think this one is called, uh, well, the actual link is called the false dichotomy of differing opinions or something like that. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Next one here, companies are moving to a new model, which is basically to keep the core competency in-house and outsource everything else. So contractors are not treated well, they don't get most benefits, and they can't necessarily depend on work because they could be canceled at any time. And as I've written about multiple times before, this is precisely what we should expect, right? Because corporations don't have an obligation to society to provide jobs. They have an obligation to customers and shareholders, and they will do whatever it takes to make those groups happy. And if that means a massive percentage of the country goes without a job, so what? Like, they don't care. They're, again, they're not, they're not going to say, hey, wait a minute, if everyone did what we did, then there wouldn't be any jobs and there wouldn't be any money, so no one would buy our stuff. 
that is a long-term, you know, 20, 30 year problem that they don't care about, right? Because they're thinking six and 18 months ahead. So don't be surprised by this kind of stuff. Expect it. And uh, this article in the link here is comparing the lives of two different janitors, one from the 60s and one from today. And it basically talks about how the first one in the 60s worked, I think, at Kodak and basically did computer training on the side and then became a teacher and then eventually became an executive. And now this other one who works at Apple uh, basically can't do any of that, has crazy hours, no benefits, hasn't taken a vacation in like a year or two, and uh, basically doesn't have that option for upward mobility like the one in the 60s had. So really good juxtaposition there. Next one is coding becoming the new middle class, blue collar job. I think this is an interesting idea. It's, and the analogy even gets more interesting when you consider how automation will remove this job as a source of you know, employment at some point in the future. So basically you had auto workers steel workers and that kind of stuff who like they had solid jobs. They had pensions, they had everything. And it was just like super, you know, apple pie, blue collar American job. And everything was going great until automation came and just gutted the entire thing. And now you have development jobs being considered really good work. Everyone accepts that it's really good work. It's not super high paying in most cases, but you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, up to like 120 grand for a regular programming job. And that's, um, that's good money, right? For, for a lot of people and especially good for, you know, a middle-class upper middle-class job. So all of a sudden here comes everyone, right? You go get into it and then suddenly AI figures out how to write code and maybe they get okay at it. Maybe they get good at it. Maybe they get great at it. And the better they get, the more programming jobs go away. Now, I don't know how fast this will happen. I think it'll actually take quite some time, unlike a lot of other AI things that are happening quickly. But this one could take, you know, five, 10, 15 years to happen. But it's going to happen, I think, anyway. And it could be another sort of uh, Michigan car situation um, all over again. 337 dollars out of pocket to see a doctor in las vegas this is one i wrote about uh, a few days ago and uh another cool fact here the term vet as in that person needs to be vetted come actually comes from horse racing uh, because a vet a veterinary doctor would have to medically clear horses before they could race so that's where that comes from and discovery Got a malware analysis cheat sheet. This thing is really great. Hacker news thread on the books that change people's minds about how the world works. I have this tab open and I can't wait to go see if I've read all these. Um, I've already looked at a bunch of them. Uh, one in particular, um, I can't wait to look at. It's, um, I can't forget it. I can't remember his name right now. It's um, the Roman Roman guy. Anyway, one of, one of uh, Caesar's pals um, 
who wrote a thing on happiness. Uh, oh, I think it's Marcus. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that's one of the things on there. I've read a bunch of these already, but, but um, the curation of this list is just great because everyone's putting their favorite list. I'm, I'm probably going to boil it up into a, a summarized version at some point. And I've got a, another curated list of coding music, also from Hacker News, and some really good artists in there. The Unfortunate Fallout of Campus Postmodernism. This was a, a great read. Some great analysis of a 320 million um, entry password hash dump. And uh, basically talking about what the breakdown was for length, alphanumeric, uh, those other breakdowns. Analysis of the Alexa top 1 million from a security standpoint. So it's got like security headers, who's using TLS, stuff like that. Someone's building a device that emits various smells when it detects a data leak. Kind of like the butane smell we associate with a, a gas leak in the US. But this one for data. Be cool, like if you could tune it for different amounts of data and different severities. So like if it's a large amount of, you know, the most sensitive data, then it turns to like rotten eggs. But if it's like a smaller one, it's like a butane smell. If it's not very much at all, it's like some sort of, I don't know, metallic smell or something. That'd be pretty cool. And you combine that with like hue. So like you have different colors, like an ambient DLP detection should start a company. Um, all right. An argument that you don't need much of a math background to build and get value from machine learning models and that you mostly need data analysis instead. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, they did say, of course, you need that math background, that heavy math background to improve like where machine learning is going and like just adv advance how it, um, its capabilities overall as, as a science. You definitely still need that math background, but to, to build models and stuff, you mostly need to provide clean data and be able to understand the output. Reverse engineering of Google voice appliance. That was a good read. Damn vulnerable Docker VM, a VM image that lets you test for Docker vulns at two different difficulty levels. What's the best real life plot twist in history? This is a pretty good candidate. You wanna check that link out. I'm not gonna tell you. A, the whole thing is a spoiler, so it would just spoil it. The updated HTML5 security cheat sheet, not HTM5, because I don't know what that is, another typo. ISF, an industrial exploitation framework for iOS based on Python that operates like Metasploit. Domain analyzer, discovery of DNS, mail, IPs, does NMAP scans, SPF info for a target domain. And notes for this week, I'm almost done with The Gift of Fear. It's actually a really short book. I didn't realize that, but uh, it's, it's really spectacular. It's got tons of content in it that's very practical and gives lots of anecdotes uh, from this, this uh, security expert's life about how to detect threats and how to respond to them and how to not get tricked into putting yourself into more danger. Uh, definitely recommend that. And uh, I moved off of Patreon for multiple reasons, actually prodded by Sam Harris on this, and created a new site 
that uses Stripe. Um, so people can support my work. So if you like the site, the podcast, or the newsletter, consider throwing me a monthly bit of support over there. Just whatever amount uh, you feel comfortable with would be greatly appreciated. And uh, recommendations. One of the most important things you can have for your business is a list of every third party that has access to your data. So if you don't have this list, then you are blind to a significant amount of what can harm you. And if you do a lot of business in the cloud, this risk is even greater. I think and believe strongly that asset management is the core of any successful InfoSec program. And by that, I mean assets to be, you know, hosts, you know, applications and data, most importantly. And the other recommendation I just talked about, The Gift of Fear, super short book about recognizing everyday threats. Definitely recommend that. And the aphorism for this week, Comedy is a Funny Way of Being Serious by Peter Ustinov. Comedy is a Funny Way of Being Serious. That's all for this week, and I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget that you can get the show notes for this episode, including the links to everything mentioned in the companion newsletter at danielmiesler.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, please share it with a friend or on social media. I'll see you next time.